Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 176. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Summer is officially here, and it's going to be a hot one. But it also means the nights are now getting longer. And now is especially a time to stay vigilant. That's what this is about. We can't wait any longer. This delay is unconscionable. And you're going to have a hearing today, and you're going to hear a lot of nonsense about, is this responsible? They're all going to say the same thing. We want to do it. We want to support the veterans, but we want to do it the right way. We want to be responsible. You know what would have been nice? If they had been responsible 20 years ago and hadn't spent trillions of dollars on overseas adventures, if they had been responsible and hadn't spent billions of dollars for defense contractors to poison our own troops, if they had been responsible and understood that 20 years of war was going to create an overflow and an influx of sick veterans paying the consequences of those wars. They had their chance to be responsible, and they blew it. And now, the first responsible thing that's been done is the PACT Act. Written carefully, fought for, for 15 years put together meticulously with input from the entire veterans community, from the active service. They could have been responsible when the Pentagon issued a memo in 2008 saying a shitstorm is coming. We're poisoning our veterans. This is grave. Let's do something. They could have been responsible in the 70s when they banned this kind of thing in the United States. You want to do it here? Let's dig a giant fucking pit, 10 acres long, and burn everything in Washington with jet fuel. And then let me know how long they want to wait before they think it's going to cause some health problems. Here's the bottom line. You cannot be America first when you put veterans last. And it stops. And these guys are going to get it done. These guys are going to get it done. We are going to get it done. That includes many of you. And that, of course, is Jon Stewart, who has again shamed Washington into action like only he can. It's just another example of the dysfunction in Washington, that it takes a blitz by Jon Stewart to get something important and overdue done. It's also another example of how powerful a charismatic, populist, non-politician can be in capturing attention, gaining a following, and making shit happen. It's an example of why the political leaders of the future in America will not be professional politicians. Jon Stewart could be a senator himself. He could be governor himself. He could be president. Think it's impossible? More impossible than Donald Trump becoming president? More impossible than Ronald Reagan? 
more impossible than a candidate like Arnold Schwarzenegger, more impossible than Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine. They're all charismatic, populist, non-politicians. Veterans' lungs are on fire. America's forests are on fire. Our conversations across the country are on fire. Our children and black people and LGBTQ people are under fire. The United States is on fire. Our country is burning in ways big and small. And the country is dying, literally, for leaders who can run into the fires, put them out with solutions, and help us find a path through the damage and through the smoke to better days. That's what the Ukrainian people have right now in Zelensky. And that's what America is thirsting for here. As radicals dominate our politics, hijack our elections, seize our capital, and poison our land, our dialogue, our social media, and our civil discourse, Americans are looking for leaders that can break through. Leaders who can speak the truth, understand the moment, and channel the emotion, and especially the anger and disappointment. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I say it all the time, but I also say that we've got to find ways to channel that righteous anger in this country away from the insurrectionists, extremists, and violence peddlers and into activism, advocacy, and positive change. Positive change like we've seen from Fred Gutenberg, who lost his daughter in the massacre at Parkland. Fred turned his righteous anger and emotion into positive impact. And now, finally, he has it. He has an impact. There's a deal in Washington to finally do something about guns. It's not enough, but it's not nothing. And thanks to Fred and many others, the Senate finally voted to advance a bipartisan gun safety bill, and it passed 64 to 34. And that included 14 Republicans who finally got on the right side of the issue with common sense reform, with our children, with responsible gun owners, and with the right side of history. That's thanks to leaders like Fred, who channeled that fire into positive, lasting change. And positive, lasting change like John Stewart has helped create for vets. With the movement forward of the bipartisan Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson honoring our PACT Act. We've talked about it on this show before. And this week, history was made. Finally, the PACT Act has passed the Senate. After decades of advocacy and fighting and channeling that fire, it passed. But it never should have been this hard. And without the charismatic, patriotic shame machine that is John Stewart, we couldn't have done it. And the PAC Act passed. But 14 senators still voted no. Last episode, I called out the 23 senators who voted to block that legislation from coming to the floor. Well, they failed. And the vote came to the floor and passed 84 to 14. But there were actually 14 no votes. 14 despicable no votes. And once again, we need to make them famous and make sure that their home states never forget when the next election comes that they voted no 
on the most important, transformative, urgent piece of veterans legislation in decades. On the week of the 78th anniversary of the GI Bill, 14 United States senators voted against transformative veterans legislation. And here they are, folks. Senator Burr from North Carolina, Crapo from Indiana, Lankford from Oklahoma, Mike Lee from Utah, yet again, remember Evan McMullen is running against him, an independent, but Mike Lee voted no. Loomis from Wyoming, Rand Paul, yet again from Kentucky, Rish from Indiana, Romney from Utah, inexplicably voted no. Rounds from South Dakota, Shelby from Alabama, Thune from South Dakota, Tillis from North Carolina, where, by the way, Fort Bragg is located, Toomey from Pennsylvania, and Tuberville from Alabama, where I went to basic training. These are the 14 senators who apparently don't respect military sacrifices, bipartisan common sense, and the urgency of the moment. They voted nay. Remember them. And we expect a House vote on the PACT Act to happen soon, maybe next week. It might take until next month, but it will happen. There will be final passage, and then it's off to President Biden's desk for a signature and a historic ceremony at the White House, where John Stewart will be, where veterans of all generations will be, and where 14 no votes will not be. Our friends are dying. That's why we need this legislation so badly. But help is now finally on the way. And now we have an overdue win that we can all be very proud of because leaders channeled their righteous anger into positive impact. But the work goes on. The fire is intensifying and stakes is high. Stakes is high, stakes is high. And in this black summer of 2022, the fires continue to burn and intensify. Overseas in Ukraine, as the fight goes on and the dying continues, as three captured American veterans remain missing and a second American has died. Steven Zabielski went to Ukraine to fight the Russian invasion. And a landmine took his life. Zabielski belonged to a squad of Western volunteers that are attached to the Ukrainian army that call themselves the Wolverines. Seth Harp, a veteran himself and an investigative reporter and our guest back in episode 165, which you should check out, had the story about this loss in Rolling Stone this week. Zabielski is the second American vet to die, but unlikely to be the last. And Ukrainians continue to die at roughly 100 every day, and countless Russians. But the fire is continuing to burn in Ukraine. And again, in Afghanistan, where at least 1,000 people have been killed and more than 1,500 others have been injured in a powerful earthquake in the eastern part of the country. It's the worst earthquake there in two decades. It's hard to imagine how things could get any worse for the people of Afghanistan, but it just did. And it will continue to happen with the Taliban in control. Yet most of America has turned the page and isn't looking back, especially the White House. Because right before this earthquake happened, newly released government data has revealed that the U.S. is rejecting over 90% of the Afghans who were not evacuated last year and are now trying to enter our country on humanitarian grounds. 
These are the people we've left behind. And 90% of them have been denied. And they include folks like family members of translators that helped the U.S. forces fight the Taliban. So the great American betrayal of Afghanistan continues. And the fires overseas are intensifying this summer, including in the Strait of Hormuz. You probably haven't seen this, but the U.S. Navy's Middle East-based Fifth Fleet says its forces had a, quote, unsafe and unprofessional encounter on Monday with Iran's paramilitary Revolutionary Guard in the strategic Strait of Hormuz, which is just what we need right now. But the fires this summer are intensifying overseas and here at home. In Uvalde, Texas, where the truth still hasn't come out about what the hell happened and why so many kids died as police waited outside. The fires burn in communities nationwide as shootings continue to happen day after day. And the fires continue to burn at pride events all month long as radical extremists like the Proud Boys and the Patriot Front and countless other non-affiliated, radicalized Americans threaten to hunt and hurt and kill LGBTQ people. And the fires continue to burn at school board elections, in parking lots, at gas stations, at Walmarts. In every place Americans interact, there's friction, nastiness, and political and social conflict. And I'll get into more on that unique and rising threat with our guests coming up, including an interaction that I had at a gas station this week. But the fires are also burning in our pocketbooks as gas prices continue to soar, inflation continues to rise, markets continue to drop, the housing market shows signs of cracking, and everyone is talking about the likelihood of a recession. And the fires are burning, of course, in our primary system, as another primary day happened in America this week. Alabama, Virginia, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. all had primaries, and it was another day when hundreds of thousands of independent Americans were frozen out of the voting process. Another day when public funds were used to pay for private elections. We've covered it before and we'll continue to cover it here on Independent Americans because it's a fire that still burns slowly and damages our country from within. And there's definitely a fire in the Democratic Party where they're already talking about dumping Biden and eating their own. Democrats went to sleep in 2020 dreaming about Biden becoming a new FDR and delivering a new deal. In 2022, they're waking up to the possibility that he could be the new Jimmy Carter and we could be facing the great inflation of the 1970s all over again. This summer, the fires are burning, all right. And especially in our media airwaves, on our social media, and in Congress. As the world becomes more and more aware of the truth surrounding the events of the insurrection on January 6th, the truth about how bad it all was, the truth about how bad it all could have been, and the truth about how bad it is still now, and how bad it could be in the elections this fall, in 2024, and beyond. Donald Trump, Trumpism, and the American insurgency is being revealed for all to see. And it's being done most effectively by members of Congress and especially by witnesses that are Republicans themselves. And it seems to be making a dent, especially with independent Americans. After the first full week of hearings was done, nearly six in 10 Americans believe that former President Donald Trump should be charged with a crime for his role in the incident. 
There's a new ABC News Ipsos poll out. And it also found that six in 10 Americans also believe the committee is conducting a fair and impartial investigation. And among self-described independents, 62% think that Trump should be charged. And 61% think he bears, quote, a great deal or, quote, a good amount of responsibility. So 62% of independent Americans think that Trump should get the bracelets, that he should do the perp walk, that he should be vanquished to running his mouth, not behind a podium, but behind bars. Now, that may be unlikely to happen, at least for now. But what is likely to happen is that the fires in this country will intensify. As the summer gets hotter, as the prices get higher, as the frustration gets greater, as the midterms get closer, and as the attacks continue, America's spectacular summer of self-immolation will continue. Now more than ever, our enemies are celebrating. And despite the January 6 hearings, and sometimes because of them, Trump is continuing to gain support from the radicalized in this country. And it's bigger than Trump, always has been. But we see that more and more now, as lots of Trump-supported, Trumpist candidates are winning. Like Katie Britt this week in Alabama, who defeated Mo Brooks in the Republican Party after he crossed Trump. Britt, who used to be retiring Senator Richard Shelby's chief of staff, never held public office before. But she's going to face Democrat Will Boyd. But it's already over. She will sail to victory in November and become the first woman elected to represent the state of Alabama in the U.S. Senate in history. And she had Trump behind her the whole way. Now, two Trump-supported candidates lost in Georgia, but one out of three ain't too bad when you're Donald Trump right now. And one out of three is enough to keep the Trumpism fires burning. And as that happens, the future of the GOP is going to look a lot more like Alabama than like Georgia because the GOP is now fully the party of Trump. He fanned the fires of hate and radicalism. He bathed the Republican Party in it. He aimed it at the Capitol and our Constitution. And this summer, this fall, and into 2024 and beyond, he's going to stoke and grow and spread that fire in any way that he can. And he's not alone. It's not an anomaly. It's a strategy. And it's an ideology. And the threat is not going away. The fire that many thought peaked back in 2020, it's not out. It's just burning low beneath the brush. But it's popping up more and more. And this fall in the midterms, and whenever the day comes and he formally declares his candidacy for president, that fire is going to explode. And we're all going to feel like it's 2020 all over again. But even worse, with a weaker Joe Biden a weaker economy, a more divided America, a more tired America, and more guns in our street than any time in our history. Yeah, starting this summer, every season will be fire season. I'm a fire starter, But how did this devastating fire start? Where is it burning now? Who can throw water on it? Who can try to put it out? Who's going to be America's fire brigade? Who's going to be our dusty crop hopper? Who's going to be our Stephen Bull McCaffrey from Backdraft? Who's going to be our Rob Sarah? In this episode, we're going to dig deeper into all of it. 
with a man who is now a political firefighter of sorts, but who was once a political arsonist. He's a self-proclaimed, reformed political gangbanger, and a guy who's the perfect person to talk to about this and much more. He's former GOP Tea Party leader turned anti-Trumper independent, Joe Walsh. I'm a fire starter. And Joe Walsh is a fire starter. He was once a star in the GOP, a Tea Party darling, a bomb-throwing punch-thrower who started out as a social worker outside of Chicago, who took a shot at acting, and went on to become a key figure in the social movement that became a wave of congressional victories in 2010. He said crazy shit, he insulted many, and he ran nasty races. But he also won. And then he lost in 2012 to Iraq veteran Tammy Duckworth in a very nasty race. And after that, he launched into a media career. He hosted a radio talk show. He stirred up lots of controversy. He stood for positions he believed in. And he stayed in the arena. And in 2018, he turned on Donald Trump, calling him a danger to this country. And in 2019, he decided to run against Trump in the GOP primary. It didn't last long. In February 2020, Walsh ended his presidential campaign after getting only 1% of the vote in the Iowa caucus. But after he lost, he didn't stop battling Trump or his former party. He's still throwing punches. He's still stirring shit up. He's still fighting for what he believes in. And he's still against Trump and his former party that he now calls a cult. A cult that he used to be a member of. And we're going to get into all of it. How radicalized is the Republican base right now? How do you beat them? Why do Democrats suck so much? Who's the next independent Trump, Obama, or Zelensky? Who's the next Jesse Ventura or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is populism good or bad? And what's the Senate gun bill's impact on the midterms? Joe's got opinions on all of it, and we're going to get into all of it. We're going to talk about why Republicans are assholes and Democrats are wimps and why America's gas stations are all now flashpoints. It's fire season in America, and we've got a fire starter turned firefighter as our guest. I'm a fire starter, Easy is over. Just like Gary Kasparov says, easy is over in America this summer. If you want easy, maybe there are places you can find. Sweden, maybe? Bhutan? Fiji? I don't know, but it's not America. And there are not too many other places in the world right now either. But in this country, we can still make a difference. We can still be the helpers who run into the fire when others run out. Or... We can watch what happens if nobody runs in, like in Uvalde. In Uvalde, we all saw how bad things can get when nobody runs in. But we can also pledge never again, like Fred Gutenberg did after Parkland and then Uvalde, and like the family of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson did after he died of burn pits. 
Susan Zierer is the mother-in-law of the late Sergeant First Class Robinson. And she has been heroic, she has been relentless, and she has been intrepid, fighting for this bill, fighting for her family, and fighting for others. And she spoke about it in Washington this week, right after the PACT Act sailed through the Senate with a vote of 84 to 14. Choking back tears, Susan revealed that she'd been wearing her son-in-law's army jacket for the last four years as she and John Stewart and veterans organizations lobbied the government to get service members the benefits and care they need. Now, with the fight nearing its end, she said it was time to finally retire the jacket, and she symbolically took it off. She said, I've been wearing this since the summer of 2018, and today, with this bill passing the Senate, I think it's time to retire it. She's retiring it, with a victory. If Susan can keep fighting after losing her son-in-law at age 39, we can all keep fighting into the fire, through the fire, and into the future when there's no more fire and much more peace. But now, it's a time to step up and meet the moment. The alarm is sounding in America again, and it's time for everyone to answer the call. So welcome to the fire season. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 176. independent Americans around the country and around the world. Happy summer. It's now officially summer. The days are actually getting shorter, but our shows are going to get that much more focused. This is a moment for America and for the world. We want to continue to bring you important, inspiring, and or iconic guests. And today's guest is, is kind of a wild card. I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. It's an important conversation. I think it's going to be a dynamic conversation, but a guy I've wanted to get on the show For a long time, he is very much in the national discussion. Finally joining us on Independent Americans, the great and powerful Joe Walsh is here. Welcome, sir. Hey, Paul, I'm not great and powerful, and I'm not a bullshitter. Uh, I love what you do, and it's an honor to be with you, brother. Well, thanks, man. Lots I want to get into. Uh, I want to talk about January 6th. I want to talk about the primaries that happened yesterday. I want to talk about the gun legislation that's now gone through or going through. I want to talk about the future of America and the Republican Party. I want to talk about your experiences, which I think are really unique. But let's start with a question that I ask of everyone, Joe. Where are you in America and how are you? Uh, I'm actually in D.C. Uh, I'm doing OK, Paul. I'm uh, I'm fucking exhausted. Uh, and and I, I know you probably are as well, but you've got little kids, so you're extra exhausted. Look, if you're into this fight, Like I was thinking about this last night, Paul, if you really fucking believe in your head and your heart that our country is on the brink, on the precipice, if you believe that, and I do, and you pay attention every day and you're working to do something about it, I go to bed every night, Paul, just fucking exhausted. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a really good way of summarizing. I definitely feel the same way. And you kind of dig down deep every morning and say, all right, let's go. Let's go after it again. Right. For many years. Uh, George Bush would motivate me. I would look up and say, 
this fucking guy for me. Right. And I am an independent would motivate me. And then that would drive me to get out of bed and and keep fighting. And Trump did that. And Obama did it in other ways. But now the, the environment's doing it. And let me let me ask you a question. I don't know if we've ever actually met in person. I think we've met on Twitter. Maybe we've been on TV at the same time. Right. Maybe in a green room. Right. Which is kind of like 2022 in a nutshell. But you're a guy that I the first burst on the scene for me because I thought you were a bad guy. Right. You were fighting with Tammy Duckworth, who I knew who was running for Congress. It was a nasty fight. Right. And and you have been open about your evolution, about the fact that you've made mistakes and you've made some big ones. We all have. Yeah. But I, I saw something I wanted to, to start with, which is you said something along the lines of I helped create Trump. Right. And and you have now come over into this bigger fight, which I, I view Trump as kind of like Godzilla. Right. Like we've all got to aim on Godzilla. And even if we don't get along, we've got to be shooting in the same direction. I put yep. us and so many others that are independents in that camp. So let me start with that, Joe. Like take us back. It's it's what was it uh, 2006 when you ran against Tammy or when was it? So, so in 2010, I got 2010. elected uh, part of that Tea Party wave. Paul, right. I'm still a proud Tea Party, or you and I can fight about that. Um, and then in 2012, I ran for re-election, right. and I was pissed off because the Democrats controlled Illinois, and they drew a district for Tammy. So they drew me out of my Republican district put me into uh, a Democratic district specifically drawn for her. And it was a tough uphill fight. Look, I respect the hell out of her. It was a nasty campaign. I've said plenty of things that I regret, but um, I I have always wished her nothing but the best. But that's that's where I come from. I was part of that Tea Party wave that went to Washington about 10 years ago. So the Tea Party wave, you know, was instructive in a lot of ways. And I, and I thought effective in a lot of ways, because if you look back at, I use Occupy Wall Street as an example. Occupy Wall Street as a, as a social and political movement never evolved into winning seats in Congress. The Tea Party did. They were, yeah. they were effective and they evolved. Now we're seeing the same thing with the Proud Boys, right? Like the Proud Boys are, are winning seats in Dade County. You're seeing extremists now being elected, uh, holding office, you know, driving the platforms. Can you talk about um, the Republican Party right now? It's right, and you and you do this a lot, right? But I want to ask you, as a guy who's a, who's along, who's been along for that ride, yeah. um, explain in your view on the strategic, if, if it's a map, right, like a strategic landscape politically, what is this chess piece that is the Republican Party right now? So it's uh, and and I was on CNN yesterday morning, and this is what I said, and I've said it often. Uh, the, the base of one of our two major political parties, the Republican Party, is fully radicalized. Um, and, and by the way, Paul, when I say the base, I mean most Republican voters, the most committed voters, they're fully radicalized. What the fuck does that mean? That means they no longer believe in truth. Uh, they've given up on democracy. They want a strong man to rule and they want their political opponents destroyed or killed. I say often that I helped create Trump. I helped to radicalize the base. Uh, I wish I'd recognized it more 10 years ago. I was part of the Tea Party. I was a leading voice in the Tea Party. To me, the Tea Party was always about the size of the debt and the size of government. That was a good strain of the Tea Party. There was an uglier strain to the Tea Party that I saw back then, but I didn't do enough about it. And now it's fully radicalized. 
any, anybody who was around Tea Party events who saw that movement happening knew about these elements, right? You knew about the far right extremist elements that in many ways tried to cannibalize the Tea Party movement. And maybe they didn't have the energy, the, the timing. They didn't have Trump, right? There were, there were a lot of differences in that, in that landscape. But I go back to where we are now. I've called it the American insurgency. It, it, it for me, is a radicalized group. It is an insurgency that, that seeks to violently overthrow our government and, and battle our, our duly elected government. Now, not everyone believes that, but there are elements like any other movement that are more extreme than others. So we're having this conversation when, you know, Mo Brooks lost last night in Alabama. Eric Crichton's has run this really radical ad, right? That is, is, is not a glitch. It's a strategy, right? To say, I'm going to kill rhinos, right? For those who haven't seen the ad, Eric Crichton's running yep. in Missouri, former Navy SEAL, disgraced Navy SEALs, now running an ad saying, here's a hunting license for rhinos. Code for go kill Republicans who are not extreme. So yep. can you talk a little bit about what you think is the strategy to combat that? If they are extremists, if they are ISIS, right? Let's use a, a more recent cop. We can't kill our way out of terrorism, right? You have to deprogram de people. You have to convert people. Some of them you have to defeat in the ballot box in other ways. But in your view, as kind of like an insider who's turned to the other side, how do we beat the guys you used to, used to be on your team? Uh, Paul, I call myself often a reformed gangbanger because you're right. I come from that gang. I come from the mega gang. I don't think it's I don't think it's fringe anymore. Again, they now they now are the Republican Party. When I was in Congress 10 years ago, it used to be a fringe thing. I was thought of as a, the, the Tea Party guy. I was fringe. Now they dominate the party. What do we do? Well, because I come from that world every day and week, I'm trying to convert them. Uh, it, look, uh, do I convert thousands every week? No, I convert a few every week. Uh, but generally, Paul, we're, I, I think, and I'm going to keep doing that because that's my penance because I helped to create this monster. But generally now it's about defeating them. We're not going to change most of them. Paul, most of them are middle-aged and older white people, man. They ain't fucking changing. They're, they're not going to change and they're going to die. So it's the right, you know this, because this is, you give voice to this. It's the rest of America now should be just hell bent on defeating them at the ballot box because we're not going to change most of them. So to that point, Joe, and I'm glad you, you, you bring you bring it that way. Right. Because, you know, there were hardcore Baptists who supported Saddam in Iraq who just needed to die. They would never change. They would never accept a new world order. You have to wait for them to get old and die away and the natural evolution yes. of things to change. But now we're seeing. Uh, a lot of so-called moderates, right, being radicalized. A lot of independents are radicalized. A lot of young people are being radicalized. A lot of them look like us, right? They're white guys who come from working class backgrounds or come from military backgrounds or are just pissed off. And, you know, the, the fuck you to the man that used to be kind of a general feel is now being channeled in a dastardly way towards something that's anti-American. So, I'm going to ask you to drill down on that even harder. I'm trying to pull people from the edge of extremism every day, and I'm trying to grow you know, an alternative, independent media, independent candidates, independent thinking. How do you beat them at the ballot box? Because I've talked at length about how the Democrats are failing, and I think they're failing terribly. I think a freight train is coming that's going to run them over in the fall. And we may be looking at many of these extremists on committee seats and in, in positions of authority in six to eight months. So how do you think 
you operationalize beating them at the ballot box. Well, Paul, tell me if you agree with this. Uh, my thesis is there are more of us than them. Do you accept that? If, you, if the us is independence? Is, uh, the, us is, the us is everybody who is not part of this radicalized uh, group of people who dominate a political party. I think that is, I think that is true. Yes. I think if you, if you add up every fucking Democrat, every progressive, every independent, every principled conservative who's left the gang, there are more of us than them. So somehow the more of us, and I think this is impossible, need to all join forces to defeat them. That's well, that's easier. But how do we how do we change hearts and minds? That's a tougher battle, because, as you said, Paul, the Democrats suck um, and the Democrats messaging sucks. And uh Right now, the Democrats are dominated by their left wing. Joe Biden's too old. Uh, if he runs again, you and I will probably step up and support him, but he's too old. Somehow there have to be independent voices separate from the Democratic Party who sound the clarion call these next few years and independent of the Democratic Party go out on missions to change young hearts and minds. That's what you, that's what you want to do. That's what I'm trying to do. I think that's, that's an important point to build on Joe, because there is not a national strategy for the rest of us, right? There's not a national strategy for unaffiliated and independence. We've talked a lot about it on the show. I think, There's you know, no you need, yeah, yeah. You need, but you need a technical game on the ground to change the rules and things like open primaries, right? You need viable candidates like we've had Evan McMullen on this show and others who can win. You need a brand, which the Lincoln Project and others have tried to capture, right? But you really need leadership, right? Like trusted, dynamic, charismatic leadership. Doesn't have to be one cool. person, but I've said before, if Colin Powell decided to start an independent party, you know, a generation ago, or if The Rock started something new right now. We're lacking that, right? With the populism piece that I think well, is especially well, hey, Paul, important. Paul, yeah. Paul, drill down on what you just said. Yeah. It's so fucking important. We live in a populist moment in American history. We've been here for a few years. It's why Trump got elected. It's why Bernie in 16 was so popular. Populism, I get in fights with my conservative friends all the time who generally say populism is a bad thing. Fuck that. No. Populism can be good or bad. These Republican populists like Trump and DeSantis are bad. But, Paul, the Democratic populists are fucking missing in action. I can't find them. I don't know where they are. No, I, I think that that's a that's a really important point. You see an Andrew Yang. Right. Who, who captures some degree of populism, captures a bunch of other stuff. Right. And then starts his own thing, which, in my view, is not really independent, unaffiliated. It's the Andrew Yang party. It's right? the Andrew and, Yang show. Right? Which is which is for some people, you know, maybe another piece on the chessboard here. But it's going to coalesce around the midterms. That's going to be, you know, a kind of a mutually assured destruction. Right. And then we're going to evolve into what is likely to be a Trump versus Biden matchup, unless one of them dies or goes to jail, right? Then the question is the landscape in between. So we've had Andrew, uh, Adam Kinzinger on the show. He's dancing around it, but he probably will run as an independent. You ran against Trump yeah. uh, for, the, for the GOP nomination. You were out pretty quickly. Will you run again? 
And if you run again, will you run as, as, as a Republican or will you run as an independent or something else? So I, I left the Republican Party about two and a half years ago after my uh, mission and possible primary challenge to Trump. Um, the party's become a cult. I can't be a part of that. Um, will I run again? Possibly. Adam Kinzinger and I got elected together. Uh, Adam knows this. He can't say this right now. I knew two and a half years ago there was no room in the Republican Party for me. Adam privately knows there's no room in this party for him. Liz Cheney is going to get destroyed in Wyoming. She knows privately there's no room for her. Uh, I think when Adam leaves in January, I think he will assume a more independent mantle. Um, but I, I got to tell you, Paul, again, this is a populist moment. And is some moderate uh, I, I don't think a moderate can give voice to this. Look, Paul, the American people, generally all of us are pissed off. We need male and female voices to give voice to that anger in a in a righteous, positive way. And I don't know who that voice or two or three is. I want to come back to that, but you didn't answer my question. Will you run again? I hope to run for something again. Hey, Paul, if I have, if I had my wet dream, I'd fucking run as an independent and go back to Congress and be an independent voice in Congress. Uh, it, it's it's not easy to do. But do I hope in the next cycle or two I run for Congress or president? Fuck yes. And and now you are. Have you totally renounced your Republican bona fides? Are you are you, are you is your voting registration as unaffiliated or independent in Illinois or wherever you vote now? Yeah, I, I, I renounced all that two and a half years ago. I left the party two and a half years ago. I'm an, I'm a homeless independent. <laughs> so the, the, as that as that goes forward, right, like let's assume that, you know, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And there is this entire patchwork of independents that haven't been coalesced around. There's no Koch brothers for independence. Right. And I've said Bloomberg could be that other people could be that public financing could be a part of that. There needs to be a way to create an environment where someone like you who wants to run as an independent can. Right. And can be viable. In the meantime, is there anybody that you see? Right. Let's assume Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and maybe you or maybe not create you know, a new Republican Party. Then you've got a new Republican Party that's more like what conservatives look like in England and other places, right? You've got the Democratic Party, which still could always fragment into the Joe Bidens and the AOCs. And then there's still the people in the middle, or, or that, not the people in the middle, the people uh, who say none of the above. And we've tried to clarify this, right? It's not necessarily that they're in the middle. They just say, I don't want to pick any team, right? I want to be a jump ball. Have you seen anybody or anything, I think about issues, like gas prices. I think about issues like maybe Ukraine, maybe legalizing marijuana, right, where candidates can embrace one or two of those issues, get on a presidential or Senate stage and just ram home issues that are uniquely populist or even just carry that flag and say, I'm the none of the above guy, right, which happens in a lot of local elections. They're kind of gimmicky, right? You get the rent is too damn high guy in New York City, Right. But you get populist. Do you see anyone? You talk to them on your shows. You know, this landscape. Who are the up and comers who can be that if Evan doesn't win, if Kinziger doesn't run? Who, who are the stars that, that can make that leap or can pop that banner? I'm using The Rock. I've said it over and over again because it could happen. Right. Like Ronald Reagan became president. Donald Trump became president. It's possible, right? There's a world where the Schwarzeneggers in the past have run. Jesse Ventura. I'm talking about people like that. There, there are case studies for this. 
Who's the next one like that in your view? Um, uh, I love that you said The Rock, Paul. Um, Look, Trump became president. So don't fucking tell me anybody can't. Right. I think I I tend to be an adherent of the great man theory of history. Uh, great man or great wo- woman that it, it that a that a voice a person channels the mood and helps to lead that i think it's led by great men and great women i think if you want it paul in the next two to four years there ain't nobody in my world of politics who's going to meet that it's got to be somebody from outside the world of politics like the rock or somebody like that The caveat to all this, Paul, the bind we're in is this, because everything, look, if Trump wasn't in the picture right now, give me reform, uh, give me ranked choice voting, open primaries, give me a third party, give me a fourth party, get rid of the fucking electoral college. Let's go, man. But we're at this moment, Paul, where Donald Trump is an existential threat to this country. So if he's on the ballot again in 24, Do we, you and I, and everybody who thinks like you and I, do we suck it up for one more cycle to make sure that unfit pathological liar psychopath is not reelected? He's a traitor, Paul. Do we all suck it up for one more cycle and support the Democrat and then, you know, knock down the barn door, let's bring the new movement forward, or don't we? That's something you and I got to wrestle with, my brother. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the reality is that even if we do, I don't think we can help Biden win this time. Like that that's the difference is like, you know, one shot at Biden, we can do it. Can we do it a second time? Can his health withstand it? Can the Democratic Party stay together? Because what we saw, I'm going to keep using this example. You know, you get rid of Saddam, you get Muqtada al-Sadr. You get rid of Trump, there's DeSantis, there's a whole new crop of people that are waiting to assume the mantle of let what me ask is, you a question, what Paul. is, let me hold ask on, Joe, let me finish, because I want to get to something. Oh, yeah. there, there, there's this, there's a social movement behind it that also has to be Agreed. dealt with, dismantled, imprisoned for the folks who deserve it, right? I don't think we'll ever get true international respect unless Trump is doing a perp walk in handcuffs. That may never happen, but I think that's what our democracy requires to show accountability. But there are people out there that, that, that I think are, are close. And let me give you an example. John Stewart. John Stewart is, is not going to be loved by conservatives. He's not going to be loved by moderates. But I'm just giving you an example, right? If you throw 10 people out there like John Stewart, can John Stewart be Kirsten Gillibrand? Can John Stewart become governor of New York? Can John Stewart could do a lot of things, right? And, and I think that's where I'm looking because John Stewart just got a veterans bill passed. That's $300 billion. Right. Five or six times the disputed amount for Ukraine, 300 billion dollars. All of us vets groups worked very hard. The X factor was John Stewart. The John Stewart shame machine was that magic. And the other example is Zelensky. Like Zelensky is a global phenomenon and he is what I think the future looks like. So I'm looking for those folks. Right. Oh, Who's Paul, the Zelensky? By the way, Paul, I totally agree with you. We are on the doorstep. Look, look, we are we are living in the onset of what I have called the third American revolution. And it started a while ago. And we are at the doorstep of what you are saying, where independent, non-political voices and faces are gonna say, fuck it, and do what they can do to help save our politics. Because 
Washington, D.C. cannot fix what's wrong with our broken system. So the fix has got to come from outside. I agree with you, man. John Stewart, even though I don't like him, and a bunch of other voices, they're coming, man. This is great stuff. I just, I, I, I think we, and you raised a really interesting point that I kind of hadn't thought of. I consider Trump to be a very unique threat. I consider DeSantis to be an ugly nationalist and a, and a bad populist, and, and Josh Hawley and Cruz and all the rest of them. But I don't put them on the same level of a Trump. Yeah. But yeah. you do you do you? No, I, don't, I, I think there's a unique magic to Trump, right? The dastardly magic. I call him President Evil. Mayhem all the time. But that that doesn't mean that there's not enough to run it after he's gone, right? It's, I talked to Admiral Stravides about Ukraine and Putin's calculus right now. You know, yes, he can lose tons of of, of bodies, he can lose tons of equipment, but he's basically got a higher pain threshold. And he's waiting out for the potentially Trump to win, the Republicans to take power, the overall support in the West to, to dry up. He's playing that long game. There are plenty of people who say, yeah, maybe we won't get the presidency, but we can still hold the Senate. We can still squash moderates. We can still drive this. We can still win the Supreme Court. Right. They may not have as much magic as, as Trump had, but they can still further their agenda, which is, in my view, focused and well-organized and well-funded and well-motivated. So I think you got, you got to look at it as an evolution. And there may be somebody that's even more dangerous than him, more charismatic than him, more clean than him, right? I it's coming up through that farm team because that farm team, I think, is growing much more effectively than, than the others. No doubt. And I could be dead wrong, Paul, and you could be dead right. But And I know that farm team well, and I know everybody on that farm team but I don't think anybody on that farm team would lead a fucking coup to overthrow an American election. Hey, man, look, with, all, with all due respect, Greitens wouldn't like these guys. Other guys wouldn't like a lot of these guys. They would take state houses. They, they, they will. Even if they don't take over the White House, they can cause significant strategic Agreed. damage to Agreed. our country. And that's Come really on. what I'm worried about is like, yeah. how much can they burn down? before we stop the fire and try to rebuild. You know what, Paul, this is so cool about this because you fucking jerk. You, you really are making me think my thesis has been, I got to stop Trump no matter what. I know what's coming after Trump is bad because I lived it. I, I know the gang well, but maybe Trump is not so fucking uniquely bad. Well, I, I think it can be both. I mean, you've, you've said Trumpism. And I think that's important. And a yeah. lot of people say Trumpism that, you know, it's bigger than him, right? Like, you know, Kaepernick is not, Completely. it's so much bigger than Kaepernick. It's so much bigger than everyone. And that's a true transformative social movement, historical leader. It's bigger than that individual. And, and that's where it's a strategic game. In my view is how do you create, you know, buffers for that violent, dangerous thing? How do you try to dismantle it and isolate it and starve it while you simultaneously build? You know, it's, I keep using the, the analogy, but we're trying to, you know, build democracy in America like we've tried to do in other foreign countries. And it's a race. It's like, can you keep people's attention? Can you keep the money flowing? Can you be good at it? Can you pr produce results? And in the same way, you know, after you don't provide security in Iraq, the insurgency grows. When you don't loosen up COVID and you keep letting gas prices go up and inflation keeps pounding people, 
the environment keeps getting more hostile. So I think that's what we've got now is I keep calling it an insurgency. And let me ask you this, Joe, like in that landscape, guys like you, guys like Kinzinger, women like Liz Cheney, you're the hunted. Like yes. there's, there's, there, you're the most dangerous threat to them because you and I yeah. can actually convert extremists. Yes. We can talk to people that Rachel Maddow and John Stewart and others will never be able to talk to. Right. So can we take that a step forward? And, and let me ask you, coming out of the gun vote last night, right? How does that landscape shift in the next couple of weeks, right? Because everybody keeps quoting the NRA. I wish they would quote the NRA and other reasonable gun voices. Can you talk about that issue specifically? Because I don't think Democrats are realizing the flip side of that, which is what gun sales are going to look like next week, right? And the other elements that you and I know, but like the guys on my road are going to go shopping tomorrow. Right. right now. Totally, Paul. Totally, totally. Such a great point. Look, I'm a I'm a gun nut. I'm a crazy gun nut. I've been called a crazy gun nut. I will. Def- I, I'm I'm Charlton Heston from my cold, dead hands, man. Uh, I'm a gun rights advocate. Um, but we uh, responsible gun owners, Paul, like me, have fucking had it for a while with the NRA and we support these reasonable steps. And I think you're going to see more and more reasonable, responsible gun owners come out and do it. We're at a real earth shattering moment when it comes to gun rights and and gun reform in this country. Uh, And I think the NRA is in real trouble. And I think responsible gun owners, by the way, Paul, are going to organize in these next few years to help take out the NRA. Um, But, you you know, you said something really important a couple minutes ago, and I don't want to get off it. Your your antenna is right. We are at the precipice of a new movement, a new moment in American politics. I think a third party's coming. I think a fourth party's coming. I think independents coming are coming. I think non-politicians running are coming. I think it's going to be the Wild West for the next 10 to 12 years in this country politically. That's a good thing. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. So I think you know, Democrats are celebrating this week as well. They should. Moderates are celebrating a lot of independence. But oh, by the way, Paul, oh, by the way, Paul, you're right. Uh, Americans are going to be going. They're going out now and buying guns. Well, yeah. And it's also, you know, th- this strategy is often about what's seeing what's next and what else. Right. And what's next and what else is everybody. Everybody thinks Roe v. Wade is going to drive Democrats to the ballot box this fall. We'll see. Right. Uh, COVID's not going to drive them to the ballot box. They're not going to run out and vote because they feel so great about Joe Biden's inflation policy. But Republicans are going to vote in special elections. And now the, the most significant gun legislation in a generation is, is maybe the best motivator for the mo- one of the most organized groups of people in America. Right. Like the other person we didn't talk about is Joe Rogan and people like that. Part of Joe Rogan's magic is he kind of got all UFC fans and CrossFit people, which are all really well organized. You put gun owners in that framework and they're going to vote in, in November. So I don't think Ukraine's going to matter. I think the inflation and the overall environment's going to matter. And I think this gun legislation is going to matter in that I think it's going to help the Republicans thump the Democrats. Do you see it that way too? Yeah, I hear I, I've, I've for the last couple of weeks and they've been getting in my grill because I'm supporting some common sense reforms. Yeah, they're, they're fired up. This passing this legislation, if it's done, will only help turn out Republicans. And Paul, they were already fired up. 
and it, way more than Democrats are. People are going to vote this year because they're paying seven, eight bucks uh, a gallon for gas and everything else. That's it. And the Democrats have done a fucking lousy job of explaining and leading on that issue. I think 2022 is already set. Republicans are going to win the House, probably win the Senate. And 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 Democrats got to understand, that, and they don't, Paul. This is a long game. And I wish I wish when Biden first got elected, I wish he had been sharp enough and tough enough to pull every Democrat into the White House and say, "We're this is a long game. We're in this for the long fight. Here's what we have to do the next two years." Because think about this, Paul. If you're a Democrat. Biden got basic infrastructure passed and he may get decent gun legislation passed. Those should be victories, but they haven't been presented as such. Yeah, well, in in part because he's not a great communicator right now. Right. And I, you know, I met the man. I like the man. I respect the man. I've criticized the hell out of him when he's failed, especially on things like Afghanistan. I think that the, the populist piece that some especially Democrats don't appreciate is there's a question of his competence now. Can he make things work, whether it's Afghanistan or gas prices or COVID? Can he be reasonable and effective? And I think that's where he's lost a lot of moderates and they may hold their nose and, and still vote for him again. But that landscape is shifting so quickly that it feels like the system can't keep up with it. And what, what I what I what I really want to know, in your opinion, Joe, is um, so let's say, say they win the House, they win the Senate. You know what they're going to do? They're going to impeach Biden. And they're going to jam them up for two years and we're going to have political gridlock where budgets don't get passed and things don't get done. And we could literally have like firefights at state capitals on a regular basis. So can you talk about, you know, you're the gangbanger, right? The ex-gangbanger. What is the worst case scenario look like if the gangbangers are in charge? Well, forget about Washington, because I actually, Paul, don't think that Republicans will move to impeach Biden right away. I think they're saying that to energize their rabid base. Sure. I, I think I, I think they'll jam Biden up nationally as an ex gangbanger. My gang fucking scares the death out of me at the state level. Uh, I envision a world next January where we've got 22 or 23 Marjorie Taylor Greens, who are secretaries of state all over the country in charge of the vote in 24. And we've got Republican state legislators all over the country fucking up with the vote in 24. Democrats have really fucked up bad for a long time because the fight has been state and local. Republicans have recognized that for a long time. Democrats look to Washington and they have to do everything. They've fallen asleep at this and they're going to we're going to we're in a lot of trouble we're going to be in a lot of trouble in these state legislators Joe, legislatures. I, I, I think that's a really important point because i've tried to say this i said this on the show and and all i, I should say none of what i said about the reaction that the, 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 the extreme right will have to the gun laws means we shouldn't do it we should definitely do it right i think this this legislation is beyond overdue and obvious, right? It doesn't go far enough in my view, as a guy who's pretty familiar with, with weapons and have lived around them my entire life. I, I, I think you just have to have that next strategic step, which is to prepare for what's to come, right? The Greitens playbook, the DeSantis playbook is not only detestable, it works. And people are gonna keep calling that play over and over again. And it's like watching you know, an, a quarterback rip apart your defense. And, and they're not changing at halftime. So it looks like that same thing 
is going to happen in the future. And I think you're going to see violence and, and tumult at, at school board meetings, in local elections, at every election that happens, right? So as that goes forward, Joe, I want to ask you maybe something you can answer. What are people not seeing? Like you, you've got your ear to the ground. You know this community in the same way I know the veterans community. What's the story that's kind of really big or the, the populist thing that's brewing that you talk about on your show or you try to bring attention to that you feel like is, is, a, is a strategic missile threat to America that people aren't tracking on? You know, Paul, I, uh, because I come from the gang, I still engage with hundreds of them a day. And it saddens me because I don't think, I know you do, I don't think Democrats sufficiently understand the threat. When I talk to these people every day, uh, Paul, and I say things like, like I'll go on MSNBC or CNN and I'll say, the base has, they've given up on democracy. And people on MSNBC will kind of nod or roll their eyes, but I don't think they really are understanding what I'm saying. We're talking about most Republican voters have given up on democracy to get to get them what they want. Think of how fucking scary and dangerous that is. That means, Paul, and they tell me this to my face every day. They want a strong man like Trump or DeSantis to imprison the head of CNN or the head of MSNBC. They want the, the, the secretary of state of Pennsylvania or Wisconsin to steal the vote. They want things like this to happen. I don't think most Democrats really understand how scary that is. I think that's a really, really important point. I think I've said this on the show. There's a guy down the street, a couple that I pass on a regular basis when I'm driving, that's had his flag at half staff since Biden got elected. And my wife saw it once and I was like, it's still there. And she's like, is that really why he's doing it? I said, damn fucking right. That's why he's doing it. And I know three houses in a couple of miles where the flag has been at half staff. And then they've got the don't tread on me flag beneath it. And they've got we know the code, right? Like you and I know the code. We know the, the, the let's go Brandon code. And when you know the code, you know to look for it. And what I see is a movement that has gone to ground. And, and that is waiting for a more permissive environment, that is waiting for a, a boss that says, hey, come on out, coast is clear, let's go, party's back on. And Trump's nomination for many of them will be that, right? Trump's, is Trump announcing his candidacy will be that. And I oh. think we are not, as a country, obviously MSNBC and Democrats are not prepared for it, but as a country, we're not prepared for that. So um, I hope you can and, stick and, around. And, and, Paul, and Paul, we're not prepared for state legislators and governors and secretaries of state who are mini Trumps and mini DeSantis's spread all over yeah. this country and next year. I hope you can stick around for a couple of bonus questions with our Patreon members. Thanks to all of you for continuing to support, especially these kinds of important, I think, conversations. Um, you know, I, there's another thing, Joe, that I want to br bring up as an example. I was, I was pumping gas, putting $100 in my tank the other day. My kids are in the car. My wife's in the car. An old guy pulls up with kind of a beater car with all bumper stickers. And I look at his bumper stickers and I said something else. It's like interesting bumper stickers. And he goes, the whole country's going to shit. The whole And he's engaged. He wants he's sitting in the gas station. He wants people to engage with him. He looks at me. He thinks I'm a Republican. I'm driving a truck. I'm a bald head. I'm white. I got camel pants on. I look like one of his. Right. Yeah. But but every gas station, every supermarket, Every Walmart is now a recruiting station, but also a flashpoint. And I think it's really going to be important that voices like me and you 
try to bring that temperature down and try to talk to people with respect and honor and reasonableness and think about the kids that are in the back of the car that you might not see. Because I'm, I'm deeply concerned, but I'm grateful that your voice is out there. I think it's an important one. I give you credit for turning it around and being out on the ramparts now. Um, any final thoughts before we, we wrap, Joe? Yeah, I'll, here's my final thought, Paul, and you know this. Yes, I talk to the cult every day, but I also every day talk to low information voters in the middle who don't like either party. And, what, and I know you hear this as well. What I hear every day from these people is a variation of this. Yeah, Joe, Republicans are fucking assholes, but Democrats are pussies who don't understand me. Low information voters in the middle, that's how they look at both parties right now. And I'm telling you, most of them will vote for the asshole instead of the pussy who doesn't understand them. Man, Democrats need to start fighting or or. Or, or you and I need to fight. Well, I think it kind of comes back to where we started. You know, you, you've been a case study in a lot of ways. You're also a case study in the power of a veteran. Like Tammy, anybody who watched Tammy run knew she was going to have populist appeal if she never spoke, right? I mean, like, you know, the second coming of Max Cleland, a vet in a wheelchair, that's oh, I mean, going all the way back to George Washington. That has been in some ways maybe the ultimate populist move for politicians, right? It's not yeah. a new play in the playbook, but I think there's also the part you're touching on, which is toughness. And in The Rock, don't dismiss it. People want no. characters or people who are tough. And, and to fight a tough guy like Trump, they're looking for tough guys and gals yes. who, can, who can offset that. And the, and the president looks weak. He looks old. He looks confused. I, I want that not to be true, but that is also true, right? And we have to face that reality and figure out how to augment him and whatever comes next. So I appreciate yeah. all you're doing, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, I, hope you. you'll I hope you'll come back. Anytime. And, and if you announce your candidacy as an independent American for president, I hope you'll do it first year. Done. Consider it done, brother. Thank you, my friend. Stay vigilant, Joe. Boom. There's Joe Walsh. There it is. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. He is always entertaining and interesting on Twitter. And check out his podcast, White Flag with Joe Walsh. He's out there trying to make an impact. He also had Fred Gutenberg on his podcast. He recently had Bill Crystal on his podcast. And he's continuing to push forward and try to add light to contrast to heat. He's out there trying to make an impact, trying to do some good, and trying to right his own wrongs. And I'm glad to say he's not a bad guy to me anymore. Now, he's stepping into the fire. Now, he's a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. Check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Many of you have been doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I see you. I will amplify you. I will share it. And we will share the stories of the helpers with others. And while you're on social, play Guess the Guest with me every Wednesday night. Lots more of you have been doing it. I've been trying to do it earlier. It's been fun. And breaking news, Delfino Sanchez down in Texas, who's been batting a thousand for really like the last year or so, actually got one wrong. He said, could it be the great and powerful Gary Johnson in this episode? And he posted a picture of Gary Johnson with Bill Weld and Michael Smirkanich, who was on this show in episode 151. But sorry, Delfino, 
you actually got one wrong. You're human. Now I know for sure you are not a Russian bot. You are not an AI. You are a real human being. You actually got one wrong, but you continue to play. You're still batting like 950, and I appreciate it. Also, a swing and a miss, but very close, was Andrew Morrison, who also guessed Gary Johnson in this episode. Very close, guys. Good idea. I've got Gary Johnson stories that I will share for another day. And, of course, I'd love to have Gary Johnson come on this podcast. But that was not correct. The correct answer, of course, was Joe Walsh. And one person got it right on Twitter. Shannon, stand with Ukraine, got it right. She's J-O-D Foster on Twitter. Congratulations, Shannon. You have correctly guessed the guest. Join us every Wednesday on all the social media platforms. Delfino will be there. Andrew will be there. Shannon will be there. I will be there. And be sure to check out independentamericans.us. That's the website for this show where you can see video of my conversation with Joe Walsh there. All our archives are there going all the way back to episode one and ways to get involved. Recently, we've been focused a lot on closed primaries. And I had a conversation with John Opdyke, which you should definitely check out because every week, There's a new set of primaries that are closed to independent Americans. And this week was another primary day in Alabama, Virginia, Georgia, and D.C., another day when hundreds of thousands of independent Americans were frozen out of the voting process, another day when public funds were used to pay for private elections. It's voter suppression, and we got to address it. So check out more at independentamericans.us. We've also got a press section there, and I've been doing more and more interviews in a number of places, and in particular on News Nation. Check them out. They are a new news network. They're on cable TV on what used to be WGN America. They're also streaming on YouTube and at NewsNation.com and on the News Nation app, but they're putting out some good stuff, and I've become a regular over there. I joined News Nation AM with Adrian Bankert, which is a great show, and I was on News Nation Now Prime with Marnie Hughes. I was talking about the American vets that are captured by Russia, which now total three. Check out our press section there and look for more media coming up and spread the word. Spread the word about this show, about our movement, and get involved. While you're at Independent Americans, you can also join the movement formally by joining our Patreon community. Just five bucks a month, you can support this content. You can get exclusive content. So big shout out to our Patreon members. You are getting an exclusive extended conversation with Joe Walsh. I ask him his favorite drink. You're going to hear about his first car. You're going to hear why he hates Kevin Costner. And of course, he will answer the epic question of pancakes versus waffles. He has a very strong opinion about that, like he does on most other things. And he only drops maybe two or three F-bombs. That's all at independentamericans.us where you can also get merch. If you screwed up on Father's Day and you forgot to get your father or the father in your life something, do him a solid, get him some great Independent Americans merch. It's all powered by Righteous Media, and we're continuing to bring you the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. It's only possible thanks to the Righteous Media team, powered by creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez, and as always, supported by my amazing wife, Lori, and my two wild, entertaining, exhausting boys. Summer is in full swing, and we had our last T-ball gathering of the year last night. It was bittersweet, but it was a celebration Sports is back. They didn't have to wear masks. And the mighty A's, the athletics, had a great season. My little guy rocked number two all season long and refused to not wear his hat backwards, which is kind of amazing and kind of frustrating. But 
I respect it, and I respect them. And big shout-out to all the coaches, players, teachers, and everybody who've been volunteering throughout this spring season of sports, school, and other activities. Camp starts next week for the boys, which is excellent for them and maybe even more excellent for me because my wife and I can catch our breath. But there's a lot coming up this summer that we're excited about. The new Buzz Lightyear movie is out. I will have a review in the future. The Yankees are kicking ass. And the new season of Peaky Blinders is here. One of my favorite shows of all time. I have not watched it yet because I am saving it. I am saving it for a summer moment that I want to savor. But the new season of Peaky Blinders is here. And Father's Day was here. And I spent it in a really cool place. My wife and the boys surprised me and took me to a car show in the mountains in Tannerville, New York, which was awesome. Live music, burgers, ice cream, incredible cars, and most of all, my boys. My amazing wife knew that nothing makes a better day for me than my boys and her and something like that. So as Father's Day is now behind us, I still want to send a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, especially to mine, to my brother, and to all the others who've shown me how it's done. It's been the greatest honor of my life to be called daddy by my amazing two little boys. And after all I've been through and after all I've seen, I know that every single day spent with them is a gift. And if you don't know already, there's not a single thing in life that I recommend more highly than parenthood. It's even better and more demanding than I ever could have imagined. But I salute, I thank, and I'm inspired by all of you. And I pledge to support all of you in any little or big way that I can. And I encourage you to support others. It's the most important mission we'll ever have, especially in times like this. So I'm wishing you all love. I hope you had a great Father's Day and lots of beer, rest, fun, whatever you need. When we say look for the helpers, it means the dads, it means the moms, and it means everybody else who's filling those roles. America's more divided than ever before. But if your dad didn't tell you, we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that. We're adding light to contrast the heat of the other content shows. And if you're among the 42% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. Ask your daddy, ask your mama, ask your friends. But if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show too. If you're a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. All are welcome, and we invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. And check out the other Righteous Media podcast, Firefighters with Rob Sarah. We talked a lot about fire. He is the real firefighting deal, and he has a very cool and sweet Father's Day episode up now with a very special guest, his daughter Frankie, that you may know from Frankie's Firehouse Feast. The chef is now the guest. It's Rob and Frankie. It's sweet. And it's just awesome. So check out the new Firefighters. And a new episode of B-Dorm is dropping tomorrow. Every other Friday, there's new episodes. And you can check it out. Jericho and Don are continuing to bring the heat. It's smart. It's funny. It's cool. You can subscribe to both of them for free, wherever you got this pod, or at Righteous.us. Please keep sharing those shows and keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And right now, we need hope more than ever, especially as the fire continues. It's fire season. And if you watch the NBA finals, you saw what it means to have fire in the belly. 
and the difference that leadership, experience, and teamwork can make. Even if you're not a basketball fan, I hope you got to see some of it. Because basketball really is a team sport. And so is America. And that gritty, impressive Warriors championship team is the best one of them yet. It was all heart and teamwork and experience. And it was a testament to Steph Curry and to Draymond Green, and especially to Coach Steve Kerr. The Warriors are a true dynasty, but they're also always fun and a pleasure to watch. So I want to congratulate them and their fans everywhere. But with this team, it's always been bigger than basketball, especially for their coach, the great Steve Kerr, who continues to be a voice of reason on gun violence, on political division, on racial injustice, and much more. Steve Kerr does every day what he can do to be a helper, and it matters a lot. And now that he's won another title, maybe Steve Kerr can answer a higher calling and run for office. America needs him in Washington even more than they need him in the NBA. So maybe you can join me in the draft Kerr movement. And maybe the great Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs can be his running mate. He's another outspoken voice of reason that is outside of politics but making a big impact. Maybe they can co-chair a new movement of independent candidates. But they are important voices that are shaping the conversation, and they're an example in leadership. And the entire NBA Finals, the entire NBA playoffs was really fun. Now, sadly... It's back to the prosecution of the leaders of an American coup attempt, the war in Ukraine, gun violence, inflation, all that other fun stuff. Man, it's going to feel like forever until football starts. But until then, let's all try to make America the team sport that we all follow and support this summer. Yes, there's still hockey. Yes, there's baseball. But America is the team sport that we all need to rally behind right now because it's the one team we can't afford to have lose. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant, and we're in this together. All across America this summer, all across Ukraine, all across Afghanistan, we're all in this together. From John Stewart to the family of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, from Prodigy to Billy Joel, from Steve Kerr to Joe Walsh to you. We didn't start the fire, but the fire is definitely burning. And it will continue to burn hotter and hotter all summer long. And as Billy Joel tours across the country this summer, it feels like we need a new version of this song just to cover the last few years. It's a time for us all to grab a bucket of water and join the Bucket Brigade for America in any way that we can, every day that we can. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving us an hour this week and every week. Keep spreading the word. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. And stay vigilant, America. Media.